I want us to uh, think today about how we develop and what is really a Christian world view. With this being a Sanctity of Life Sunday and so many things in our culture today, I mean uh, homosexual, gay marriage, uh, gender dysphoria, people trying to decide. In fact, in some parts of the country now, when a child is born, it's not marked as male or female. It's just left a blank, and then they say the child can decide at some point later whether it's a male or a female. Just weird stuff, crazy, crazy stuff. And I know you think, well, that's not affecting uh, everybody, and, and it's not, but it's it's a growing thing. It's something that's going to increase more and more over the next few years. And who would have thought that uh, even 10 years ago that the whole issue of gay marriage would have reached the point where it is today. And to say anything against it, to speak against it, is uh, uh, really puts you in a, a position of being uh, scorned and ridiculed and even sometimes attacked. And uh, so uh, what do we say about these things? You say, well, those are political issues. They are political issues, but uh, they're more than that. So I say, well, these are these are cultural, social issues, and they are social issues, but they're more than that. They are spiritual issues. They are biblical issues. And so the difference is that uh, people have, everybody has a world view. That is the way we look at things, the way we look at our world. And, and uh, our world view answers questions like, uh, where did everything come from? How did everything get here? Uh, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Uh, what happens to me after I die? Those kinds of things. All those are incorporated in a, in a world view. And everything we, every, everything we think grows out of our, of our world view. So what, what is a Christian world view? And by the way, about the only place you're going to hear Christian worldviews is uh, in church, and in, not in every church, and in uh, Christian homes or from a Christian speaker of some kind. And 95% of the messages that our young people are hearing today in our schools and in our community and over television and everything like that, about 95% of it is a secular worldview. That is a worldview that leaves God out of the uh, equation and out of the picture. So, what is a Christian worldview? And I've got uh, 12 points, and uh, you've already figured that out, hadn't you? And uh, the first one is, and this is the foundation of all of it, is that there is a personal, purposeful creator. That there is a God who made the world. Now, we don't have to look very far in the Bible to find that as a declaration, do we? Like maybe the first verse in the whole Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all through the Bible, God is just extolled as the creator. He made the world. He made the world. We come to the New Testament, we find that he made it through Jesus the eternal Son of God, that by Him was all things made. Without Him, nothing was made. And uh, 
and in Hebrews chapter 1 that he is the creator of all things. And then in the book of Revelation, all the way through to the very end, God is praised on the throne as being the one who created all things. So that's the first the first element of a Christian worldview is that there is a God, a real God, a personal God, who for his own purposes made the world and called it into existence. Now, the secular worldview basically says everything has just happened by chance, by incidental, accidental development, and it, everything has evolved. If there was a big bang, and and somehow or another, out of that big bang, all the everything began to swirl together. And then here on this planet, there was some kind of primordial soup or, or swamp or something. And out of that swamp, there uh, there there evolved life out of non-life. And, and then out of that life form, that little amoebic uh, life form, everything began to evolve and develop. And over billions and billions of years, we finally have come to people who are smart enough to be so stupid. <clears throat> so how do we ever get here? I don't know. But, but here, here's the thing. Those are the two basic foundational units of all worldviews, there is a God who a personal, purposeful creator, or there is no God, and out of that, uh, all the world just came to be. Well, let's look at the second one. The second point, and you can write these down if you want to, or I'll, you can just look at them, either one. God created man in his own image. And he created him to care for the rest of creation. Again, we just find that right there on the opening pages of the Bible. God made man in his own image. And because man is made in the image of God, man's life has unique dignity. And the only purpose, the only reason given in the Bible that a person's life could be taken would be if he took somebody else's life. And that because life is not someone else's to take. And life, your life, my life, every life, preborn life, elderly life, uh, 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 mentally challenged life, all life is sacred and every person is made in God's image. And even though that image is marred to some degree, we are still God's unique, special creation. So God created man in his own image. As the creator, God established unchangeable laws of nature, behavior, morality, and maybe other things as well. But God, as God, has the right to say, this is right and this is wrong. And we don't have that right. We do not have the authority because we're not the author. We're not the creator and only the creator has the right 
to say this is right and this is wrong. But God has said that, and he has clearly made it absolutely uh, clear that uh, some things are wrong and some things are right. Number four, he revealed those laws to men, and they were recorded. Where do we have those recorded? The Ten Commandments, and even further than that, the whole Bible. The whole Bible is the record of God's purpose, God's power, and God's purity, and God's law as to how people are to live. He has the right to tell us how to live. I don't have the right to decide. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, the story, the very opening story in the Bible, the Bible says that the tree that God forbade the Adam and Eve to eat from was the tree of the knowledge or the determination of good and evil. It was the tree. It was the right. It was, God said, you are to stay away from this tree that declares that you have the right and the authority to decide what's right and what's wrong, what's good and evil. He said, I'll take care of that. And when they ate of that tree to determine for themselves what was good and what was evil, rather than God determining it, the whole world, the whole created order was plunged into disunity and into sin. We call that the fall of man. So God has revealed those laws to us, and they were recorded in the Bible. Now, when man does not obey those laws... Bad things happen. Now, we do not, God does not force us to obey him. But when we don't obey, bad things happen. Much of the Bible, especially much of the book of Proverbs, but much of all the Bible tells us that man cannot, without consequence, break the laws of God. I can throw a hammer up in the air. I have the right to do that. But it's going to fall back down. God has set a law. And if I'm not careful, it might just fall on my head. And uh, and God has established laws. That's the reason physics and science works. There are no laws of nature. People talk about the laws of nature or the laws of physics or the laws of science. All of them are the laws of God. God is the one who made the world, and he set it up to where it works the way it works. And that's the reason we can have science. If uh, if everything was just willy-nilly and just, you know, water boiled at 200 degrees one day and it boiled at 300 another day and boiled at 100 another day. Be a mess, wouldn't it? But it boils at 212 degrees. Is that right? 212 degrees Fahrenheit at sea level. And it does that every day, everywhere, all the time. And so it's God has established laws of nature but he also established laws of behavior, laws of what's right and what's wrong, laws of morality. We don't have the right to, uh, to, to violate those, 
But if we do violate them, we can expect some bad things to happen, some consequences to happen. Man did not, has not, and cannot perfectly obey all the laws that God has given. Now, that's a sad statement, but it's just the truth. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and his ideal. And uh, God's laws were never intended to make us right with him. Unfortunately, the laws that God gives in the Bible are designed to show us how far we've fallen short. They're not designed... And so when people say to me, well, my religion is just the Ten Commandments. That's I live by the Ten Commandments. I just want to say to them, well, and how's that working for you? Do you keep all those Ten Commandments perfectly? And have you always kept them perfectly? Or do you keep them now perfectly? And if they're honest, they'll say, well, no. And now if they're dishonest, they'll go ahead and break the ninth commandment right then. And they'll bear false witness. And they'll lie and say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm living by them. And think, well, you just broke the ninth one right there. Now, the fact is, we cannot, we do not, we have not lived up to the law that God has established because we're sinners. The result of this disobedience is the mess we're in. It's the history of mankind. One of the teachers at uh, OCS, one of his favorite statements was, history is messy. Why is it messy? Because man is a mess. And history is the story of man. And it's story of sinful man, and that's the reason wars and slavery and oppression and violence mark the history of mankind. And the present story, not just the old story, but the story of today. And the result of this of man's disobedience is the mess we're in. Man desperately needs a Savior. And to have a Savior, it must be someone who can perfectly obey all God's perfect law and then one who will willingly pay for our sin. Got to have two qualifications. One, he has to have no sin of his own. And then he has to willingly pay for my sin and for your sin. Who in the world could do that? In the first place, who in the world could ever live a perfect life and never sin one time? Well, they, we've already said that, that anybody that's born in the human race of Adam's seed is already condemned. So somehow or another, some human, he's got to be human, has got to get into this world and yet not have the seed of Adam. But he still has to be a fully human person. <laughs> How in the world do you pull that off? 
Well, it would almost have to be somebody born of a virgin. Somebody that was the egg of a woman, but the seed of God. Well, that's what Christmas was all about, right? The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. But God, the angel said to Mary, this holy thing that is born of you will be the Son of God. And so that's how there could be a human, fully human, one who got hungry, one who got thirsty, one who could uh, mash his thumb while working in the carpenter's shop, one that could bleed, one that could get tired, and one that could get rested. There had to be a fully human and yet without sin. And that was Jesus. And he lived his whole life. The Bible says nobody could find fault with him. Even the, his enemies couldn't find fault with him. Even Pilate, who examined him, said, I, I find no fault in this man. No sin. Was tempted, tested in every way, yet without sin. And then, one who would willingly pay for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God, which is in Christ. That's the glory of the gospel. God made a world. Man messed it up. God redeemed it. He gave the law to condemn it, but he gave his son to redeem it. One without sin who perfectly obeyed and then willingly paid. And Jesus is that Savior. Jesus is that Savior. That's the message the world needs to hear today. It's wonderful to tell people how to live, and morally how to live, and politically how to vote and all that kind of stuff. All that's fine. But that doesn't save anybody. A person could be uh, conservative politically. He could be uh, uh, conservative morally. He could live as clean a life as he possibly could. And then he could die without Christ, without God. And he would never enter into heaven. The message that the world needs today, all ages, is the message that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And by believing that, truly believing that, our hearts are captured, and we love him and serve him. Those who trust him now must follow him and by grace uh, live by his principles. Our responsibility, we've said this in the last few weeks, God does the saving. God does the empowering. God puts his spirit in us.
But our responsibility is to put off, put on, to live out what God has put in. We work out what God has worked in. And for the Christian, our desire, our, our longing is to be obedient, to live for Jesus in every way that we possibly can. So it's our responsibility to live by his principles. Those principles are clearly revealed, and they are uh, they're not obtruse in any way. They're not hidden concerning life. Life is precious. Life is sacred. When we talk about the sanctity of life, we mean that life is sacred to God. God looks at life when it begins. In fact, the Bible tells us many of the prophets and many of the apostles, they were chosen for service while they were still in their mother's womb. Did you know that? You know the first person to rejoice at the announcement that Jesus was the Son of God was John the Baptist. And do you know when he did it? When he was six months old, or three months old, maybe six months old, in his mother's womb. Can you imagine that? The first person to leap with joy at the announcement of Jesus was a preborn baby in his mother's womb. That ought to say something to all of us and to everybody. The fact is that a baby, whether it's a month developed, three months developed, six months developed, or nine months developed, is a human being. It's a human being. It's not a blob or a glob or a fetus or a, a, a embryo or a zygote or whatever. It's a human being. And it's wrong to end the life of a human being at any stage. And I guarantee you, there are those who would say today, we believe that anybody over 90 ought to be euthanized because they're not profitable to the society. And there may be some who'd say over 80. Well, Moses was 120 when he died. And he was 80 when he started his greatest ministry. Can't hardly wait till I'm 80 and see what my greatest ministry is going to be. I don't have to wait long. So, life. God gives laws, principles, truth concerning life. It's precious. And, and concerning gender. God created them, male and female. He created them. People ask me, well, then, why is all this 
confusion today? Well, it's not because boys are not boys or girls are not girls. It's because humans are sinful. It's because sin has warped our whole way of thinking, and and it has had some genetic repercussions. There's no doubt about it. Let me tell you something. Every person's sexuality is affected by sin. Everybody's sexuality is affected by sin. And God has clearly laid down principles male and female, and about marriage and about sex, that there is one acceptable time to enjoy the gift of sex. And it's when a man and a wife, a husband and a wife, who have entered into a committed relationship with one another, then they are to enjoy to the fullest the joy that God has provided, the gift that God has provided. And you say, well, well, why doesn't it work that way? Why is it there are lots of married couples who don't enjoy it? Why is it this? Why is it that? It's because of sin, folks. And the reason some people express their sexuality with somebody of their own gender is because they're violating God's principles. When a couple expresses their sexuality before they're entered into a committed relationship, it's because they're violating God's principles. When a man who's married to a woman expresses his sexuality with another woman outside of that marriage, it's because he's violating God's principles. But when a husband and a wife enter into a committed relationship and delight in giving and receiving joy and pleasure to one another, it's within God's principles of that relationship. But many violate it. And it's not any more wrong to violate it in one way than it is to violate it in another way. They're all wrong. But God has set the principles for life, gender, marriage, children, and everything. God has established the principles. And then all people will be held responsible for what they do with Jesus and their responsibility to obey God's principles. As a Christian, I cannot violate God's principle and hope to escape the consequences. Now, I don't worry about dying and going to hell because I've trusted Jesus as my eternal Savior. But if I, as a Christian, violate God's principles, I still pay the price of violating those principles, right? And I do not have to violate those principles. 
God has clearly defined them, so I can't plead ignorance. God has indwelt me with the Holy Spirit, so I can't plead powerlessness, because I have the power. When I sin, I have to just simply say, I sinned. I messed up. I broke God's heart and broke God's principles. But God has provided a way for me to get right back up again. Keep walking. Just keep walking. We live by faith. We walk by faith. We walk in the light. But when I miss a step and I fall down, God doesn't throw me away. He picks me right back up. He said, I still love you. I love you just as much as I did when you were walking in the light. I still love you. I forgive you. I died for that sin as well. And now, start walking again. Walk by faith. Trust me. Obey me. Walk in my ways. Now, The reason that I am against abortion is not because I want children to be raised in poverty. It's not because I want women to have to uh, suffer the consequences of making a wrong choice. It's because God has said, I am the one who opens the womb. I'm the one who grants life. And when God grants life, no matter how it was conceived, I do not have the right or the authority to end it. It's God's gift. It's God's gift. Now, I have many, many dear, precious friends who have had an abortion. And they say, well, Pastor, what does that say about me? Well, what it says is that God loves you, God forgives you, and just like he does me for anything I've done that violates his principles. And so the message against abortion is not against people any more than a message against divorce is against people. It is a message that says God has a way. Live that way. You'll be blessed. The world has a way. Live that way and you'll suffer consequences. Life is precious. Marriage is precious. And that's why I'm pro-life. By the way, one of the one of my heroes in the faith is a man named Randy Alcorn. Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Why Pro Life. It's probably the best explanation that I've ever read as to why life is so precious. And we've got thirty copies of that book out in the foyer and they're free to you. 
don't take all 30 of them and leave some for somebody else. But uh, pick one of those up. If you'll read it and take it home and read through it, and it will persuade you. If you have any questions about why should we be pro-life, it'll answer those questions for you. Okay, I want us to pray together. And as we pray this morning, I just ask you to consider how are you forming your worldview? What voices are, are shaping the way you think? If it's God's voice, then you'll have a biblical worldview. If it's any other voice, whether it's an internal voice or an external voice, television or whatever, you will not have a biblical worldview. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to shape our hearts and minds according to your truth. Jesus made it clear to us that your word is truth and that if we know the truth, it'll set us free free from the lies, free from the deception of the enemy. And I just ask you today, Father, to help each one of us to determine our perspective based on your truth. And we've all failed. Lord, I've, I've made so many mistakes. I've sinned so many times. I, I don't have any position to stand and condemn anybody. I don't have any position to stand and judge other people. But I know that the same grace by which you forgave me of my sin and covered them over with the blood of Jesus and washed them away, with that same grace, you can and will and do forgive all who trust in you. And I pray that our hearts will be sensitive to you and hear your call in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, We would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.